Hey folks, if you've been tuning in to Two Man Advantage, the podcast, over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. It's easy to use, a couple of clicks, and you are set for some great live experience. Well, now Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app, create an account, then under the Billing section, redeem code The Athletic. Once again, that's The Athletic, all one word, no gaps, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019, so make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Everybody, Scott Burnside back for another episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And uh, Pierre, I I got to tell you, it's it's quite chilly here in Atlanta, and just creeping into the holiday spirit. I actually have the fire going here at the house. I bet it's not as cold as it is in Toronto, though. So I just, are, are you ready? Are you feeling? Are you feeling the spirit? Uh, I better start my shopping soon. That's the only thing that's starting to stress me a bit. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, they do have a thing called the internet. You don't even have to leave your house. You know what? I went online the other day, and it couldn't guarantee shipping by the 25th, so it made me a little nervous. A little nervous. <laughs> See, now, I, I, I don't want to say this out loud and offend you, but in America, it pretty much ships... Like in 10 minutes. Like if I order something during this podcast, the chances are when I go downstairs, the box will be at my front door. I'm just saying. That's how it works yeah, here. Yeah, we have that here too, buddy. Don't worry. <laughs> you, you, you got HBO you too. Worry, you worry about your impeachment hearings and I'll worry about my country, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, listen, we, we're going to have a great uh, episode as we uh, this will be our last one before the holiday break. And uh, we're going to talk to the man of the hour in the NHL, or one of the men of the hour in the NHL, John Chaka, the GM of the Arizona Coyotes, proud owners of a player named Taylor Hall, mm-hmm. and uh, undefeated, <laughs> undefeated since the big trade, as you and I are chatting with this. And we're also going to hear from Philadelphia Flyers netminder Brian Elliott, a uh, very emotional week for the Flyers, and, and a really interesting season in terms of their goaltending um, and, and how that's playing out for a Flyers team that is in a playoff spot as we uh, speak today, um, but I, let's start. With, let's start with Taylor Hall. As I say, we're going to circle back with John Chayka and talk about the trade, um, certainly from the Arizona perspective and how important it is to that franchise. But I'm just curious. I mean, you followed this so closely all the way through. Were you surprised at how it unfolded, or did you anticipate that this was this was something that Ray Shiro, the GM in, in New Jersey, was going to try and get done as quickly as possible and I'm just curious about how you, how you felt it had all fallen together. Yeah, I don't know if I would have pre- predicted pre-holidays, 
But if you remember, Scott, when uh, you know when I first sort of reported on the fact that the Devils had started to listen a number of weeks ago and then wrote a, a Monday column on it, I, I did think that the preference would be to move them sooner rather than later. And the reason for that, I think, is quite clear. Uh, you know, there's a risk of injury with Taylor Hall. Listen, he's had some very healthy seasons. It's not like he's hurt every year, but he's coming off major knee injury and I think a nightmare scenario for the New Jersey Devils is that they get closer to the deadline and he's hurt and they can't get anything for him. So I, I think that decision, you know, once they realize that it no longer made sense, you know, made sense to even entertain making a contract offer, which they never did, by the way. Um, you know, I think they got the ball rolling clearly and uh, I think it was the right decision. I mean, I mean, why does it have to wait till February 24th when it's clear that your team isn't going to make the playoffs? I mean, that's a hard message to send, I guess. You know, I mean, you're, you're selling tickets, you have a fan base, but it's also your job as a GM um, to make the best long-term decision. And, and that's exactly what's transpired here. All right. Well, and I think you, you and I have talked about this. It, it, as, the, as the devil season went off the rails pretty early, even if, you know, maybe it's different if Taylor Hall comes to Ray Shiro and says, you know, I really want to be part of this. Uh, lock me up for eight years. Let's go. Um, but I don't think that was ever really going to happen. And the season really did get out of hand. You know, obviously, you know, John Hines is a coaching casualty there. Um, there's still lots of questions for Ray Shiro moving forward, but there, like, it just, it just didn't seem to fit, right? Very early on, that didn't seem to fit having Taylor Hall their long term unless it was something that he was determined to do well no i and i don't even i'll stop you there because yeah even if he was willing to do an eight-year deal i don't know that that makes any sense for the devils like the only way i could have seen the two sides starting a conversation that might have led somewhere is if taylor hall says i'll do five years because now now you're mitigating some of the long-term risk for the devils but what superstar that's about to enter free agency or has a chance to enter free agency doesn't go for the full max? I mean, look at Panarin, look at Tavares. I mean, it, every player in this position, as he should, uh, is trying to maximize his, his his earning potential because it's the last time he's going to be in this good a spot. So it, because it was always going to be about a max deal, to me it made no sense for the Devils to sign him because they got to rejig this thing now, reset it around Hughes and Heeshear, and Taylor Hall would be 36 at the end of an eight-year deal. And frankly, it made no sense for Taylor Hall, who's desperate, desperate to win playoff games and find playoff success, having played only five playoff games. And clearly that's not going to happen right away here in New Jersey. Yeah, no, there's no question. Uh, so <clears throat> two ways I want to go with this. First, if, let's stay with the Devils for just a second. Uh, I mean, there, there are a couple of players. Uh, Sammy Vatanen is one. Andy Green, the captain, uh, who both on expiring contracts. I, I'm more curious about what your thoughts are on PK Subban, who's having just a, a dreadful year, point production wise. Got this year and next year left on his uh, deal at sorry till the end of 21-22 at nine million dollars a year. Is it, do you see him as being a long-term, well, long-term to the end of the contract answer in New Jersey? Or is that something else that Ray Shearer is going to have to look at and see, you know, whether that fits moving forward? Because he has, 
as David Poyle did in trading him to New Jersey, has latitude to to make a move with that asset if he feels it's a, it improves the team. I don't think it's anything that's in a front burner right now for the, you know, I, I, the beauty of that situation is that even though P.K. Subban has struggled this year, it's not like he's there long term in terms of his contract. That You know, the fact that there's two more years on his deal after this year is actually neatly tied into some of the other young players whose deals are going to come up. So I I have no, you know, I, I don't see why the Devils couldn't just write that out, hope that P.K. Subban plays better. And know that they're not tied to him long term. Um, you know, you, you look at the fact that uh, um, I'm trying to see Nico Heischer's contract here. Uh, he, of course, is signed long term, but Jack Hughes, of course, will be up in uh, in a couple of years from his entry level deal. So I, I think the timing of all that can work. Now, if a team reaches out to the Devils this summer uh, at the draft and asks about PK Subban, I think the Devils would listen. I think they have to, given that they're they're going into a bit of a reset here. But I don't sense that that's a, that's a front burner issue. I think for now they got to figure out their UFAs. And the one player he didn't mention was Wayne Simmons, who's also UFA Scotty. And um, man, I think they really like him. I, I think that he's such a character player, such an important leader. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with him. Maybe he does get dealt with the other UFAs, but. It would also wouldn't surprise me if they go to him and try to extend him at some point and, and know that they need that kind of veteran influence around the team as it gets younger here. Yeah, I would be, to me, he's one of those guys that <clears throat> maybe you approach before the February 24th deadline and you say, listen, we really want you. Let's Let's make sure we talk July 1st, but maybe he's a guy... And I want to talk about Tampa um, in this first segment of two-man advantage today. And it's something you and I talked about last year. I remember you mentioned specifically Wayne Simmons as a guy that maybe he fits at Tampa with the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, on their 62-win season a year ago. Um, But maybe that's a kind of guy that Ray Shiro can return some assets for, but also uh, circle back and and have him as part of the process of, of, of building something uh, in New Jersey, and and you're right, he's quality guy, and uh, my sense is that he would like to put down some roots. So yeah, uh, I, but so yeah, and and you're right. I mean, I, yeah. I I loved him for Tampa last year. I think there were a couple of conversations, but obviously it didn't happen. The thing is, they they did go out and sign Patrick Maroon last summer, so I think they probably feel that between Patrick Maroon and Cedric Paquette, um, that there's enough heaviness in in their lineup up front. Uh, you know, Anthony Sorelli's a really talented player. Love the season he's having. Um, so I don't know if that's a that makes as much sense this year. I'll tell you the team that, you know, they've got zero cap room, so it's probably hard to do. But I think the Toronto Maple Leafs can use a player like Wayne Simmons. Um, you know, they got so much skill. I tell you, the Leafs the other night against Buffalo, they, they had it all going for, you know, 30-plus minutes, and they were just so dazzling. But come playoffs, the game changes a bit, and, and I'm and I keep wondering how that Leafs uh, exciting offensive game is going to adjust come playoff time. And I, you know, a guy like Wayne Simmons um, would be a nice little piece. But again, the Leafs are so tight against the cap that just having call ups and, uh, and and what are usually minor roster decisions are a headache for that team. So I don't know that they could ever swing it. Okay, 
Um, I want to I want to just circle back briefly to the fallout from the Taylor Hall deal. And I wonder if you, you know, sometimes it's we look at these kinds of things as dominoes. And now all of a sudden other GMs are like, OK, you know, Taylor Hall, clearly the the, the prize uh, rental on the market. Does that is that an impetus to other GMs to move quickly to fill a potential need on their roster? And, you know, there aren't too, too many, but there are a couple guys. Chris Greider with the New York Rangers, obviously. Uh, J.G. Pajot with the Ottawa Senators. Both are on expiring contracts. Both, um, certainly Pajot having a terrific year with a, an Ottawa team that continues, frankly, to, to be far better than I thought they were going to be. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And Chris Kreider, the Ranger team that's still very much on the bubble. I'm not sure they're ready for the playoffs yet, but, uh, you know, if it's the Ranger pattern is that if they can extend him, that, that my guess is that he'll be dealt by the deadline. Do you think the Hall deal accelerates that? Or do you think we'll just have this period, certainly after the holiday freeze ends, begins and ends, but then where it will be quiet again until we get closer to the actual trade deadline? Or what do you think there's a dynamic to it that, that you're sensing and talking to GMs around the NHL? You know, I talked to a couple this week after the Hall deal, and they said it was otherwise quiet right now. Um, and I think part of that is that there's so many teams in LTIR and right at the cap, Scotty, that, that as you know, the way the system works is the longer you wait into the season, the smaller the cap that it is that you have to absorb. <clears throat> Sorry. So... I think forcibly there are teams that are going to have to wait close to February 24th if for no other reason than the math of the cap. Um, but uh, there will be some moves. I mean, listen, we've talked about it at length. I've written about it at length. The Buffalo Sabres uh, are willing and able to move one of their many, many D. One of them's asked for a trade, and Zach Pogosian. But, uh, you know, Marco Scandella is another trade candidate. And Colin Miller was scratched a couple of times. I mean, who knows who gets dealt but at some point in time the Sabres um, would like to trade a defenseman for a forward to get a little more forward depth so that's a move that really doesn't have a time element to it other than the fact that they haven't been able to find a match so far and there are numerous discussions around the league Um, so there are obvious moves like that but in general again because of the cap implications I think a lot of the trade deadline is like a magnet for that reason that the last possible day you wait before the deadline the easiest it is to make a deal. Do you, uh, if, if you had to, if you had to sort of pinpoint a team that might be sort of anxious about, okay, when to make a move now that with Taylor Hall gone, you know, I mean, the Avs were mentioned so prominently in the connection with Taylor Hall, in part because, you know, they have tremendous assets there and, and look like a team that was going to be able to swing that kind of deal. You know, uh, and you highlighted a number of the other teams that took a, you know, took a, a look at, you know, various levels of seriousness. Florida was one, but um, is there a team that you think is now anxious to be not frozen out or not left out uh, as we move forward, and even if it is closer to the trade deadline, but is there a team you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure this this is a guy that really wants to make a, an impact mm-hmm. add? Well, I don't know why it would be Colorado. And I think, in fact, the more Colorado investigated the Taylor Hall situation, and, you know, as I wrote in, in my piece after the fact, that certainly the Avs, Joe Sakic had a, several conversations with Ray Shiro, according to the people I spoke with. 
But as time went on, I think the Avs realized that, you know, once once they realized how unlikely it would be that they could probably sign Taylor Hall past this season, then it becomes a rental, which still Colorado might have done at a lesser price, but not at the price that Arizona was going to pay. So that's when I think Colorado kind of got out of it. But the, I think the other realization is, you know, the Avs have not been healthy the entire season, right? Every time someone comes back, someone else is hurt. They're as close to as healthy, I guess, now as they've ever been. They're the number one scoring team in the National Hockey League despite that. <laughs> so I don't know what they need other than I guess it's the old notion that, you know, pile on the talent, pile on the depth and really go for, you know, go for it. But I, I don't think there's any urgency for Colorado to do anything, quite frankly. I, the team that comes to mind to answer your question is, is the Calgary Flames, um, who, you know, as I reported on insider trading i believe that they are the mystery team that at the 11th hour really 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 made new jersey think with a substan with a, a pretty good offer for taylor hall and uh which tells you a couple things i mean obviously they like taylor hall and who doesn't but it also tells you that they felt that they had to get into that at this juncture right uh and as we tape this on uh, wednesday afternoon the flames are 26th in the NHL in goals per game. That's a pretty big drop from a year ago, right? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this team. How are they 26 in the league in scoring? Um, and, and so that's why they were in on Taylor Hall. Not to mention the fact that I think Calgary would have wanted to do that deal if they could, probably if they could eventually sign him. You know, is it, we know that Taylor Hall spent part of his youth in the, uh, in Calgary, so I think there, there was a, an obvious fit there, and who knows, they may go after him July first anyway, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, so but but I look at you know Calgary last year finished third in the NHL in goals per game, Scotty, and right now they're twenty six, as I said. That's a pretty significant drop in half a season, with basically almost the same lineup. So it tells me that. Uh, Brad Tree living the GM in Calgary, if he has a chance to act between now and February 24th, absolutely will. Again, can't force it. I mean, he's got cap issues. You can't just make up cap space and make up trades. But sure. I think if he has a chance, I think he'll get in on something. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll come back, and I'm going to I'm going to ask you about uh, Nikita Kucherov, Tampa Bay Lightning. I was actually in Tampa last week with the washington capitals on their dad's trip which was a just a ton of fun lots of lots of interesting stuff there but uh, we're going to pick that up in a in a brief moment so don't go away talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy that's just the way it is usually people just brush it off blame themselves saying things like my team didn't get taylor hall or my fantasy football team is a wreck or we avoid it altogether but with roman it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com advantage and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. 
Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com Advantage to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com Advantage for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com Advantage. Uh, so Tampa Bay, uh, was interesting. I always love going to Tampa. I love that city. And, uh, as they say, it's, it's always fun to, you know, spend some time with, uh, when teams are doing their dad's trip. So I got a chance to do that and was on hand for a very interesting game between, uh, a very good Washington team. I, I just think the Caps are, you know, they play with the, they got a little chip on their shoulder from last spring when they were bounced in the first round in dramatic fashion in Game 7 by Carolina. And uh, they they just have a lot of weapons going on. But it was an interesting game, Pierre, because they, they didn't play very well to start with. Ilya Samsonov was spectacular early on. Some defensive breakdowns, but he made some stops, kept them in the game, and they ended up winning in a walk, really, at 5-2. And... Subsequent to that, in a game that took place just uh, the night before you and I are taping this, um, the Lightning ended up winning, but uh, Nikita Kucherov ended up uh, stapled to the bench Mm -hmm. uh, in the latter stages of the game. And uh, I know you tweeted, uh, uh, just uh, made note of it on Twitter, and I know Joe Smith, our guy, wrote about it in, uh, in Tampa, and I... I just I wonder what you make of that, and this is a Tampa team as we speak, and I'm looking at the Atlantic Division, which is a really wacky place. Of course, the Bruins are running away with it, but second through sixth are separated by two today points. By yeah, two as we taped two this, points, it's crazy. It's yeah, it's crazy, and uh, team, you know, so it's it, it, and I keep looking at Don Lachishan's, uh playoff projections, and I'm always amazed because the the Bolts still project that, like, and I'd have to call it up, but it's it's like almost certainty that they're going to be in the playoffs, and I guess I believe that. But as we head toward the holiday break, and soon after we're going to be at the midpoint of the season, they're not in a playoff spot. They have teams to jump, and head coach John Cooper is, uh, you know, is, is making I think a, a kind of obviously a statement when you when you bench the defending Hart Trophy winner and uh, scoring leader. Uh, I'm wondering what you what you make of the whole thing. What's what's the story behind the story on on when something like this happens and where the bullets are at right now? Well, first of all, Tampa again forever now, but I guess it's finally going to change over the next couple of weeks. But they've had games in hand and still do on the entire division, right? So you really got to look at points percentage right, as opposed sure. to points, and and they're in fact ahead of that five team pack on points percentage, but. As I like to say, you still got to go earn those points. That and and, and when right. your schedule gets busier, it actually you know as players you get tired and it becomes a grind. So you can, you can never bank on those points. But they've got lots of wiggle room. They will make the playoffs. I'm calling it right now for you in case you were nervous that they, they are making the playoffs. <laughs> I'm not nervous. Um, I just I'm but but uh, but you're right. I I think it's a you know a huge moment in this team season here, and they've had a few already this year. <laughs> I mean, Captain Steven Stamkos called him out at about the third game of the year. Um, There's been lots of moments in this season where you're like, boy, was this a 62-win team a year ago? I will tell you that I I actually think that I've been really paying close attention to their games over the last couple weeks. I think that their play has been 
superior to the results, if that makes any sense. Like I could really see them coming in, coming out of this. And strangely enough, I don't know that on many nights, I think what's cost him is goaltending, which was never the case a year ago because Andre Vasilevsky bailed him night after night when they weren't very good defensively. But he'll he'll for sure steady himself, and and that's why I'm, I'm confident, among other reasons, for it. But not all is, is well. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big statement benching by uh, John Cooper on Nikita Kucherov. And to answer your question... I guess the next three to four games will tell you what the dividends are in that decision. First of all, I I love it from John Cooper. I think it's gutsy. And it sends a a message about the meritocracy of that team and their expectations. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they can't just freelance their way through a season. and, And for people who missed it, I mean, he had a pretty bad giveaway that, you know, led to an Ottawa goal. And, um, and you know, he's not been at his own lofty standard so far this year. I mean, he's a point-of-game player, but, I mean, he blew the field away last year in winning the Art Ross and the Hart, and the Hart Trophy. Um, and so I think we're still waiting to see the best possible version of Nikita Kucherov, too. So it's it's a lot to chew on. And frankly, because he's such an important player on that team, I don't know that there's probably anyone in that dressing room um, that probably would go up to him and say, hey, dude, let's go. You know, it's, it, that's why it's, it's, you know, maybe it is John Cooper doing this right now that, that uh, you know, that, that cures this whole thing. Again, and this is not on Nikita Kucherov. There have been lots of players on this team that haven't found their A game. But I do think they're coming around. I really do. And I think a month from now we'll talk about the Lightning and say, oh, there they are. Because I think that's coming. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. The 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 games in hand are a factor that it's, it's easy to ignore sometimes. They're plus eleven goal differential, which is very solid, and certainly outside of Boston, is the the top goal differential in the Atlantic Division. I I, I just think it's a, it's interesting the way it's played out with, and I know you uh, referenced uh, Toronto an emphatic. Um, really important win over Buffalo, but you know Buffalo has rebounded nicely after a, a flat stretch that looked like it might scuttle their season. You know Florida uh, scoring like crazy, um, allowing goals like crazy for the most part. Uh, hard to know where they fit. It, it, to me, it would be fascinating if this is a Lightning team that somehow settles into one of the wild card spots, and now all of a sudden you're looking at either Washington who I think will win the Metropolitan Division. And certainly Boston is running away with the Atlantic. Now, it's way too early, but, I mean, what a reward that would be if you're one of the division winners in the Eastern Conference and you look down your schedule and you say, oh, just the Tampa Bay Lightning. I, I don't know. I just think that, that would <laughs> Which set up might a be very perfectly, interesting... I mean, I, I, no one would ever want... You can't plan for this because you risk not making the playoffs, but... Probably the best possible spot after being the 62-win team that got knocked, swept in the first round is for the Lightning to go in as as the lowest seed this year, right? Wouldn't that be perfect? I mean, that could they could oh, make hay from that yeah. that spot. That's for sure. <laughs> well, it'd be it'd be interesting to to follow up, but certainly um, a lot more drama, frankly, uh, around the Tampa Bay Lightning right now than I thought there would be. Uh, even if you know, even though we talked earlier in the season about. You know how they would respond to what happened to them last spring. It, they still haven't got all the kinks out, so it uh, 
it certainly is going to, to be one of the, the big storylines of the second half of the season. And before we bring this part of two-man advantage to a close, I, talk, I always like to get in the old former thrasher discussion here as we, uh, um, as we go through two-man advantage. And none bigger than Ilya Kovalchuk, whose brief and... Uh, it's not even star-crossed. It just was brief and rather uh, unmemorable uh, tenure with the Los Angeles Kings, now formally at an, at an end, as you have been documenting. And I guess, the, the, you know, I don't know what you're hearing. Certainly people I've talked to indicate that he's still, he's really determined to to find a place in the NHL to play, that he still feels he can contribute at the NHL level he has a very short window if i understand the rules if he is going to go back to the khl and, and go back to russia um i talked to somebody over there um, who said the, the deadline is december 25th so um he has a fairly short window if if that's going to be one of the the options he considers to continue playing this year but i wonder do you, is there a place for Ilya kovalchuk in in the nhl given that now teams you know the the, the expense the 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 risk in terms of money is well, is almost negligible. I have to be completely honest. You're going to hate this answer, but I just don't know. I, know, I, I just I, don't know. I'm not, and I'm not invested. And it's not from a lack of trying. I Boy, I've heard from a dozen teams yesterday and all, all said they had no interest. Now, there are some teams that didn't get back to me. But you can't automatically assume that's because they do, <laughs> right? That doesn't work that way. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I do know this. I mean, J.P. Barry, the agent, uh, you know, he, he has to be careful. He can't say much at this point of it. But certainly there have been discussions with other teams. But my interpretation of that right now is that it's it's very sort of preliminary slash tire kicking slash, you know, let us do some due diligence, which ultimately may lead to nothing right so i i just don't know if there's going to be a fit um i have to think he can help a contender on a second power play unit as a secondary scoring option for 500 grand the rest of the year right i i mean the league minimum 750 but i mean prorated uh it seems like such a low risk and, and by the way uh if you don't like what you see after a month, then you just <laughs> hopefully, you know, you, you tell him it's not working out and presumably he would allow you to mutual terminate it like he just did with LA, right? I mean, why would he want to stick around if it's not a good fit? So the risk is really low, but I just think that from the conversations I've had with some teams, there are a lot of teams that are really concerned that they that they feel he's done. Um, and again, I'm not sure he is. I, I wonder in a better surrounding, a better fit, if there isn't a little ounce left there where he can help you out in a secondary role. And I, I mean, a lot of people I immediately drew a line, and, and you've been very, you know, you've been been consistent on this because, you know, it's not, it's, I mean, this is this is a bear for the LA Kings, right? I mean, this has been a disaster. It's it hurts them cap wise moving forward. Like it, you know, it, it just it was it was a mess. But as you have pointed out all along, there were other teams that were interested. Right. Didn't like the three year term, but there were other teams that were interested. And I know a lot of people draw a line now with Boston, and and again a team that is I mean, head and shoulders 
above the competition now in the Atlantic. They're 10 points up on Buffalo. Um, they're going to challenge. You know, they're four points back of, of Washington for the top spot in the Eastern Conference, which is not nothing. But, you know, it's a Bruins team that, you know, to your point, like you say, I, you know, what would be the harm, right? Like to, to try it out or, but you also want to make sure that you're not disrupting, um, you know, you disrupting something that's, that's obviously working pretty well in Boston. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to me, that's one of those teams where to your point where you're like, okay, like what would, that might help, right? Like you can see, he doesn't, doesn't have to do a ton there. They have a strong leadership group. Why not there? I mean, the, honestly, the two teams that I personally wouldn't mind seeing them reach out would be Boston and Tampa Bay. Um, but I don't know that they will. And it, again, I, I think it's part to what you're talking about. You know, it, it, whenever you add a player, he's taking someone else's spot. And, 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 you know, what's the, you know, what's the domino effect there in terms of how everyone in the room feels about it and so on. So again, I, I find, I'm finding it difficult to see how how this ends for him. And, and, and interestingly, it comes at a time as I reported uh, on Insider Trading this week, where now we're wondering about Justin Williams and his future. Um, Justin Williams, who uh, has been skating on his own recently, uh, ramping it up, does not mean he's necessarily coming back. He may decide at the end of this that that he's not. But if he is coming back. You know, he is technically a UFA and any team in the league could reach out, right? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to believe that if he comes back, he wouldn't play with the Carolina Hurricanes, a team where he was captain, where his, you know, his family still lives in Raleigh, right? But uh, as I pointed out, the Hurricanes uh, are, are right near the cap. So it's not like they have that much wiggle room. They definitely want him back. Uh, I could tell you through sources that there have already been communications back and forth between the Hurricanes and Justin Williams and his camp. But until he's signed, it, it, if I'm another contender, I'd be reaching out, wouldn't you? Just to make sure. You know what? That it's, it, it is a fascinating uh, debate when you throw in Justin Williams because I've been thinking about him. In fact, I, I will say it would be great to go in and hang out with Justin Williams as getting ready to, you know, to decide whether he wants to come back and then if he makes that decision, if there is a place for him in Carolina or, as you point out, somewhere else. And, uh, you know, I mean, with, this is not a – I'm not throwing Kovalchuk under the bus, but, you know, Justin Williams has a – you know, he's multiple cup winner. He's a playoff MVP. I mean, he's a guy, if you are a contending team, that I have no doubt would fit seamlessly into your locker room. So I, I it, maybe it's unfair. But it has never stopped me from asking you an unfair question. If you had to, will we see one of Kovalchuk or Williams? Will we see both, or will we see none? What do you? What's your gut? Do you have a gut on either of them on on those guys? I th- I think I think we'll see Williams. I think it'll be a hurricane, and I think it'll be great. <laughs> well, there's no question. You know what? I mean, I, I have no dog in the fight, but he he. He should be in a Canes jersey, right? He should be in a Canes jersey. I think that's that's just right. Yeah, I mean, they're a contender again. Like I said, his family's still living there. It's just, I mean, the funny thing is, of all the years, the Hurricanes, like, how many times have you ever mentioned Hurricanes and, and cap issues? Like, <laughs> it's an odd year where because they picked up the Barlow deal in exchange for a first-round pick and then bought it out, 
and then of course sign Jane Gartner in September, they don't have that much cap room. Yeah. So I think they have enough for him, but it's just I'm just saying it's not as slam dunk as right. it should be, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it, I'm, it's it, it is fascinating. That's it. You know, having watched them really, you know, they they beat a really good Winnipeg team and the night before we taped this and you know, Andrei Svechnikov scoring once again with the lacrosse style and just it's it's a team that cannot be dismissed. They have a ton going on. I, I'm with you. That's it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, how that Metro division shakes out because there's a lot of good teams in it. All right, everybody, here we are. We're back, and as promised, joined now by Brian Elliott, netminder for the Philadelphia Flyers. And Brian, thank you so much for taking some time and hanging out with us on the edge of the holiday season. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and obviously uh, um, an emotional week for the Philadelphia Flyers and I uh, want to talk about uh, your role and relationship with Carter Hart. But let, let's start with uh, Oscar Lindblom and um, obviously difficult news that you guys would have heard uh, the, regarding his diagnosis with Ewing sarcoma and then followed up by... Uh, honestly a tremendous response from the local fans uh, in your game on uh, Tuesday night at home against Anaheim Um, and I just wonder you know from your perspective as a veteran player what you know how how do you respond to something as difficult as this and what's it been like for you guys in that room to to try and process what's going on you know with uh, obviously with Oscar and and with the rest of the guys in the room yeah um you know, hockey's a sport where, you know, injuries are, are common and, um, you know, guys are out of the lineup and, you know, wanting to get back in. And, um, but, you know, when you hear this news, it's something that stops you in your tracks a little bit and uh, puts things into perspective real quick. And, you know, he's such a, a good kid and, you know, having you know, the best season of his career and, um you know, just a, a happy-go-lucky guy that, uh, you know, is, is a really good teammate and really good person. And, um, you know, the, the first thing that, that comes to mind is, you know, it's not fair. And it's, it's a, you know, cancer something that uh, doesn't discriminate. And, um, you know, uh, so many people are affected by it. And um, it just hits that much closer to home when it's, you know, within your tight locker room. And a guy that's, uh, you know, been a, a big part of our team. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, not easy for us. It's not easy for, for him, but you know, he, he was in our locker room the other day, big smile on his face, looking good in his uh, Swedish tailored suit. And, um, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, he's really positive that, uh, he can, you know, fight this and recover from it. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're all behind him. And Brian, uh, I was, in talking to someone the other day who said that, uh, I mean, this would be tough to swallow for any team at any moment. It's such a real life situation and your heart just goes out to Oscar. But in particular, someone said to me, you know, this is from all accounts, a really tight family tight flyers team this year, that, that there's a real chemistry here. And, you know, it, it, I know that's an intangible, that's hard to put into words, but I mean, you've played on, on some really good teams and, and been around What's your sense as a veteran on this team, uh, you know, how close that team is? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think at different stages in your career, you see that tightness differently. You experience it differently. I mean, um, 
you know, in, in our days in St. Louis, we had such a tight group and, um, you know, the mix was, you know, a lot of guys that are, you know, kind of in the midst of their, their career and no kids and really having fun with each other. And, and then it transitions to, you know, the older guys are having kids and, and things like that. And, um, you know, we have such a, a good group of, of young guys that all get along and, you know, all want to hang out even on the off days and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to have. And I think you bring, you bring in a guy, you know, like Kevin Hayes, who's, who's so good at, you know, bringing a locker room together and always staying positive. Um, you know, no matter what, I think that's a, that's a big, uh, role to fill and and you know also a guy like chris stewart who's been around a locker a lot of locker rooms and um knows how to get guys pumped up on a nightly basis when you know sometimes you're in the dog days of the season and that's a tuesday night and it's hard to get up for a game but uh you get those guys uh pumping some music and you know getting guys going i think it uh, serves really well in the locker room Brian, I'm, I got a chance to spend some time with Carter Hart uh, at his place just outside Edmonton in the summer and then spend a few days at, at training camp with with you guys before the start of the season. And I wonder if you had an idea of you know, what that was going to be like, that relationship between you and Carter and how the split in games might go and what it might look like for you. And, and I wonder now, because this is it's been a great season for both of you so far, and with your health, knock on wood, that you are at a, you know, in a place that maybe has eluded you a bit the last couple of years in terms of your health, has it been different than you thought it was going to be? Or is there a way to describe what it's, how it's all unfolded for the two of you? Um, you know what, I, I've kind of approached every season the same way that, uh, you know, you, you play well, you win games and you'll, you'll probably play some more. And, um, you know, I think if you're, you know, getting angry that you're not getting ice time or you're not getting this game or that game, I think uh, your your energy's in a in the wrong place. And um, knowing that, uh, you know, Carter is a great young goalie, and um, you know, sometimes sometimes there's some you know stumbling grounds here and there. And I think every every guy's been through. Uh, you know, it's it's good to have someone there as a sounding board. Um, you know, I, I think it goes both ways. You know, he's uh, he's come over to me and and said, you know, that's that's not your fault. We gotta we gotta support you there and all this stuff. And I'm like, I know Hartsy, but you know, he's he's working his way through <laughs> uh, through everything as well. And um, you know, it, it, it's a good relationship. I think uh, um, you know, we we challenge each other in practices. You know, save to save and. Um, you know, you want to beat the guy next to you and, and then, uh, you know, talk about uh, all the fun things off the ice as well. And Brian, the last couple of years, a real buzz a buzz phrase or buzz term has been load management with goalies in the NHL. And, you know, I, I know some coaches and teams are completely invested in the science of it, as are some goalies, and I've got other people still not sold on it. And, and so I'm always interested to hear uh, especially a, a veteran goalie's opinion on it. I mean, Boston's the extreme example, right? They completely believe in almost a 50-50 nature of it between uh, Brask and Halak and, uh, until playoff time. And, and Tuca told us last year in the cup final that he felt really healthy because of it. But you you try convincing Marc-Andre Fleury to play fewer games and his eyeballs will come out of his head. So how, where do you stand on, <laughs> on what it, – it has to be counterintuitive – to want not to play, of course, 
but also understanding, you know, rest and all that at a very demanding position. Yeah, I think, you know, there has been a lot of talk, um, you know, trying to get a pitch count and, you know, how many times do you go down in a practice? And, you know, it's really hard to to manage that load management. I mean, uh, there's so many different ways of analyzing it, um, you know, other than just games. But I, I think, you know, when you're not playing uh, in the games, I think you're working a, a really hard, you know, in practice and in pregame skates and you're getting all the extra shots and, you know, sometimes you're getting more load than the guy that's playing. So, um, you know, I think there has to be a lot of, uh, you know, look into it. I think for sure it's it's hard to play those, you know, 60, 65 games that guys were playing, you know, years ago. And, um, you know, mentally, physically, and, you know, I, I don't know, you know, if it's gotten harder or um, the schedules are a lot of a lot more back-to-backs, but um I definitely think you need you need two guys that can go uh, on any given night and um you know it's you see it just like you saw in in Boston and I think you know the, the two teams that went to the Stanley Cup you know two really capable goalies and uh, on both teams and I think that's a big part uh of you know getting to where you need to be uh to get into the playoffs and then uh managing it uh uh in the playoffs as well so uh, I don't know. I think the science is still out on it. And, you know, I think every team is trying to figure out what to do. But you see a lot of teams, you know, realizing that uh, you need two guys that, that can really win games for you down the stretch. Uh, Brian, just one more before we uh, let you get on your way. Uh, but uh, Pierre mentioned the playoffs. And as we speak today, the Flyers own a wild card spot in a very competitive metropolitan division. When you have a young team, do you. Th- is it healthy to be talking about the playoffs, even though there's still a little bit more than half a season to play? Do you try and ignore that? Or do you think it's good for uh, a, a really young group to, you know, sort of keep that, you know, sort of that prize in constant vision? I, I just wonder how you, what do you think the best way to, to, to deal with, you know, talk of playoffs uh, for a team that, that that is really hungry to get there? Yeah, I, I don't think... Um you know, the actual talk uh, of the playoffs and playoff spots every day needs to be, you know, looking at every score along the way. But, um, you know, we'd, this year we, we put up things in our locker room, the just our the Eastern Conference standing, and every day it gets updated and you can walk into uh, your change room and see, you know, where we're sitting. And it's a constant reminder, um, you know, not that we have to talk about it day to day, but you're definitely seeing where you're at and, you know, where teams are creeping up on you or you're creeping up on teams. And I think that's, that's the subtle things that, uh, you know, I think help out. And uh, I think when you get down to it, we'll definitely, you know, the second half of the season, we'll be talking about it more, but uh, at the end of the day, you always have to just worry about your own team and how you're going to win the next game. And you can't uh, rely on anybody else to determine your fates out there. So, um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing, especially with a young team. Sometimes they say it's uh, the worst thing for you is to make the playoffs when you have a, a young team because they, you think you can do it every year, but it's so hard. And, um, you know, you really have to take advantage of certain situations over the year because, you know, it usually comes down to that one or two points that you either, you know, win overtime or lose in overtime. And uh, I think that's where you have to kick it in gear some of those games. Good stuff. Well, Brian, it's been a, a treat having you aboard with us and uh, wish you uh, all kinds of success moving forward. And certainly we'll be thinking 
uh, about the Flyers and uh, Oscar Lindblom moving forward. But thanks for hanging out with us and, and sharing your thoughts. It's been, it's been great. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brian. It's awesome. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, appreciate that, Brian. That was great. For sure. All right, guys. Hope it helped out. I'm I'm really glad that we were able to connect with Brian Elliott. We've been trying for a couple of weeks, uh, Pierre, and you know, having spent some time with Carter Hart, as I mentioned. So you should go back and look that story up if you if you haven't already. Um, but I will tell you, it was terrific. Yes, it was terrific. That was a long time ago. But you know, the interesting thing is that I think there was a, there was a fair amount of debate within the Flyers organization about what they should do in terms of the backup goaltender. You know, the 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 older veteran goaltender they wanted Carter Hart to play with and learn from and be with every day. And I think there was a lot of debate about, you know, who, who, you know, there were some goaltenders who were out there, right? I mean, there was Cam Talbot who was already in the flyer fold, came over at the deadline last year and ended up in Calgary and, you know, Curtis McElhaney and lot there were lots of names out there. But my understanding is that GM Chuck Fletcher was, was adamant that he wanted Brian Elliott, felt it was the perfect fit. And I think, you know, there have been some ups and downs for both Brian Elliott and Carter Hart. Um, but I, I think it has worked out exactly how Chuck Fletcher would have wanted it to work out. And it's going to be interesting to see how it goes in the second half. What do you think of this Flyer team? Are they a playoff team or not? You know what? I think they are. And, and you know, I know that they've been solid in their metrics as well. They, I love the way in most nights they look five on five. I mean, it, I'm probably old fashioned, I use, <laughs> but I really base teams more on their five on five play and try to take away, try to eliminate how powerful their power play is with the idea that that becomes less and less significant in the playoffs. And you know, I, I just think this is a really good five-on-five team when they're playing at their best. Not every night, but when they're healthy and at their best. I, I, I love the way they can control play. And, you know, I, I remember talking to Chuck Fletcher about this when I did the Q&A with him earlier this season. But the way that the new coaching staff under Alain Vigno, I mean, they, they play a, a much more aggressive style, which Chuck Fletcher likes. And they dictate more of the play and don't wait for the play to come to them. And that's really been the change from last year to this year. So uh, I, I do. I, I think I think they get in on one of the two wildcard spots. And, and it's funny because we mentioned the crazy Atlantic earlier. That's why that five-team parlay, you know, Buffalo, Montreal, Toronto, Tampa, Florida, is so crazy to me because right now they're, they're probably looking more at the two spots in the Atlantic and not really too concerned about the wildcards, right? Um, again, I, I think... Based on talent, Tampa and Toronto should come out of that five of that five pack. But uh, if that was the only way to measure teams every year, it'd be pretty predictable. <laughs> so we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, no, it's going to be. I'm with you. And the Flyers have been. I mean, obviously, the Oscar Lindblom um, illness and diagnosis. The fact he won't be able to play for the rest of the season is. I mean, it's heartbreaking. But it's also a team that has really. I mean, they've been hammered with injuries up and down that lineup and you know it's it's a real there's a lot of tests for that group they they're not very good at um you know away from home <laughs> they're you know they're a team that has relied on a right now they're 11 2 and 4 at home but only 7 9 and 1 away from home so they're going to have to find ways to get points on the road moving forward but i like i like the way they've responded to the the various 
um, bits of adversity that have been put in front of them thus far. And I think a lot of credit has to go to that coaching staff. And, you know, I would spend some time with Alain Vigneault in training camp. And of course, Michelle Terrian and Mike Yeo, uh, Kim Dillabas, uh, um, the goaltending coach there, uh, Ian Lapierre is a holdover from the past, but, uh, you know, that coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for helping this team learn on the fly and still be in a playoff hunt, I think. Big time, yeah. And uh, not a cheap coaching staff. I bet you, <laughs> I, I bet you uh, Mike Terrian and Mike Yeo are doing all right there beside uh, Alain Vigno, who, who reported uh, makes $5 million a year. That, that, uh, that's a, that is a veteran established coaching staff. And uh, I like it. That's that, Maybe that's the new way to go is everyone's going to hire three head coaches. All right, everybody. Here we go. As promised, joined now by Arizona Coyotes GM John Chaika and now undefeated since acquiring Taylor Hall. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's only one game job, but I just wonder what's the what, what have the last uh, – 48 hours give or take what's it been like for you and and maybe a sense of of what it's what it's been like for this organization to to bring in a player of of uh, taylor hall status yeah thanks uh thanks for having me guys appreciate it um yeah it's, it's been a whirlwind for sure i think um yeah you have a bit of a sense of of uh you know the media pr side of things obviously when you're making a trade of this magnitude and and taylor himself but um you know, it's it's even exceeded any of those expectations, and that that's certainly not my focus. But uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of buzz in the city, a lot of buzz in the state, and uh, you know, we 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 were kind of the moving things forward here in terms of hockey in the state of Arizona, and I think uh, you know a lot of people are excited. Um, you know, we got a good young team. Uh, we got some pieces over the years, kind of built this thing up meticulously, and and uh, you know, got a chance to add a player of uh, of a Taylor Hall's caliber. It's you know, view it as a very rare, unique opportunity. And, um, you know, everyone's excited outside the organization. Obviously, everyone you know, super excited inside the organization, players, staff, coaches. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully just to start something special here. What was it like, John, to, to pursue him? Uh, you've, made, you've made a lot of trades since you've come on board. You know, it's funny. Normally, over the 25 years I've covered the NHL, younger GMs are a little more patient before becoming uh, uh, uh you know rampant traders but you've traded right out of the womb pretty much since you've come on board you've made a lot of trades and uh, i don't know if you enjoy the enjoy the chase and uh, or you've just found it to be one of the good avenues to to shake things up since you've come on board but you know how do you go about getting the big fish here in taylor hall when you know there's tremendous competition yeah, it's a really good uh, question in terms of the you know volume of trades. Yeah, it wasn't certainly uh, wasn't something I intended on doing uh, initially. You know, I don't think it's, it's it's by nature necessarily as much as um, you know. I think we took a broader view of things when we came in in here. Um, you know, realized it was an organization that hadn't had a lot of success in a number of years. Um, you know, we had we had some assets for sure, um, but we were really lacking a lot of. Um, you know, call it star power or some of those you know, difference makers. And, uh, you know, we all know there's, there's certain, only certain ways you can get them. And, uh, you know, the, the, the draft route solely, uh, takes a awful lot of time. Uh, the balls hadn't, uh, you know, bounced in our favor in the past. And, um, you know, uh, we wanted to look at how we we're going to build out this team without just maybe taking a traditional route of, 
of being bad and, and, you know, hope to get as many good picks and then kind of go from there. So, so, you know, we wanted to be, uh, you know, flexible and nimble and, and, and have opportunities to pursue some of these, these uh, alternatives that, uh, you know, we thought we could be opportunistic to build up hopefully Stanley cup contending team. And, uh, you know, it, it, you have some good fortune along the way. You certainly don't expect that you're going to have a, a Nick Yarmelson or, a, you know, Derek Stepan or some of these bigger pieces, obviously Phil Kessel now and Taylor Hall. Um, but, but obviously we, we, again, we've done everything where, you know, it's, if we didn't draft the Clayton Kellers and Chickrens and, um, you know, those like the likes of those guys, then, then we wouldn't be in this position either. So, you know, to answer your question, I think it's, it's one of those things where we looked at where we're at, uh, where we needed to go, uh, you know, try to associate some timeline with that and, and just been as aggressive as we can be with, with still, you know, sticking and being disciplined to a plan. And, and specifically to Taylor, if I can jump back in, Scott, sure. sorry, John, uh, because I, I made the mistake of asking you two questions in one there, but yeah, but when on but on Hall, when you realized, and you know, I, I remember, you know, being part of the number of reporters who got a sense that you know Ray Shiro had started to listen on on Taylor about a month ago or a few number of weeks ago. When there are a lot of teams, because sometimes you're just focused on a trade with another team where it's just the two of you from the get go, right? It, it sort of becomes one of those things where the two teams have a plan where they can sort of address each other's needs. But this is a whole different kettle of fish. I mean, this is an auction, essentially. And you you know you're competing against other teams, as it turns out, some in your own, in your own division, uh, in this case. And how do you channel what you can control and not get too stressed about what you can't? Yeah, yeah, I know. Look, it's, um, I guess there's an art art to the deal, I, uh, I suppose. But, uh, you know, the amazing part is you have, you know, thousands of these conversations that lead to nothing. And, uh, you know, some of them have, you know, we've, we've been heartbroken on a few different opportunities that we thought would be, uh, you know, really strong, good opportunities for organization and, um, you know, falling a bit short and then they get, never gets reported. No one's ever talked about it. And then, you know, you get some things that, uh, maybe get out and then, then yeah, with a player of uh, Taylor's caliber, you know, again, there's some things we maybe missed out on that if we would have done, would have taken us out of this type of deal. So I'm a big believer, you know, things happen for a reason and, and obviously, uh, you know, we got a good good team here. We've been building it, like I said, kind of piece by piece for a number of years now. Um, you know, we built up our defense. We've been one of the best best defensive teams over the last two years now. Uh, our goal ten, we think we got two two elite goalies that can that can steal us games. And so there's you know some components and some pieces. And you know to get a chance to add a guy that like Taylor, who's you know in our minds one of the top offensive players in the game, if not uh, you know an all around player as well. Then uh, you know we were going to pursue that and uh again there well, i think it's been well reported that you know there were certain things we weren't willing to do um and certain things that we were willing to do and uh you know the reality of it is you got to give to get and uh there wasn't going to be anything that was easy per se but there was going to be things that would continue to allow us to you know stay on our track here of, of being a great team for a long time and uh you know ray was great to work with and uh you know, worked through a number of different situations and, uh, you know, found something that, that could work for the Devils and, and hopefully work for the Coyotes. John, as, as we're chatting, uh, own first place in the Pacific Division, um, which is obviously a that must be nice when you can look at the standings, uh, point ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, but I think you're probably in a different position than, than some GMs around the NHL where I'm, I'm sure there are some GMs whose who's sole concern is only what goes on on the ice and and the roster and 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 building in that way but in your marketplace sir i'm wondering how you balance 
also looking at the marketplace itself and say, how can we make this work here? Because it, it has been a struggle for that team. And, or maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you, you are completely separate from that, but my sense is that you probably have to consider how do we make this team more attractive within our marketplace. And I wonder how you balance the two, if there is indeed a balance. I'd be lying if I'd say that, you know, our market or, uh, you know, our, our organization, you know, wouldn't have a bearing on, you know, some of the decisions we make. You know, I think it's always a part of the decision-making process. You know, at the end of the day, we're in the hockey business, the winning business and results are all that matters. So that, that's first and foremost, and that's going to take the bulk of your, you know, get decision-making process or your brain power. I mean, that's, that's what you're focused on. Um, you know, I think, like I said, we're, we're in a position where, uh, you know, we're trying to build our fan base here. Uh, I think we've done a tremendous job over a long period of time now to, to uh, you know, continue to sustain that growth and to grow and build and, and do a lot of good things here. Uh, you know, obviously we're in a situation where we're looking for a new building, um, you know, looking for a home to play long term in. Uh, you know, I think we've made some inroads there and, and uh, you know, believe that uh, at the end of the day, winning cures all. And um, so, you know, there's certain considerations that go into everything, but, uh, but we wouldn't have made this deal if we didn't think it gave us the best chance to contend, you know, not only for this year, but for a long time. And, uh, yeah, that's our that's our core competency. That's what we're trying to do here. Uh, we think that this obviously satisfies that, um, you know. But it helps that you get a player that's, uh, you know, such a great player and also, uh, you know, star personality. Just getting to know Taylor here the last couple of days now. He's he's a smart guy. He's he's uh, very insightful. I think he's uh, well spoken. He's uh, yeah, he comes across as as being a guy that can certainly help sell the game. And uh, when you're in a non traditional market. Again, it's not that you're making the deal because of that, but it's certainly a nice benefit. And uh, I think this guy really checks that box for us. And John, I think from reading some of your comments over the last couple of days, it sounds like you, you've talked to Taylor Hall and to Darren Ferris uh, and, and kind of everyone's on the same page. Let's just worry about the future after the season and, you know, and focus on, on hockey in the here and now. And the reason I bring that up, you know, I thought San Jose did a good job of, not smothering Eric Carlson after they traded for him a year ago and, and letting him figure out for himself if he wanted to stay or not in the Bay Area. And, and I always think that's that's a good approach because if you remind a player every single day whether or not he's going to sign, he might get tired of you. But it sounds like you're taking a similar approach, I think, with Taylor Hall. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. You know, I think, um, you know, maybe I'm biased, but uh, certainly my 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 perspective on it would be, you know, if I've never played for a team, I've never, you know, visited the team other than just coming through on a on a on a game, um, you know, staying in a hotel. I can't imagine that you know a decision of that magnitude when when you're a star player, you've got the optionality that you have, but you do anything to limit that. Um, you know, that's just my view of it. Uh, having said that, you know, we certainly made the deal uh, with signing Taylor in mind. Um, you know, I think anytime you get a chance to sign a player of that caliber it's always a good thing for your organization so so yeah we'd love to sign them uh, i just think the process of how we go about signing them might differ from some other people's opinions and we, we we think you know we want them to be here we want them to enjoy it we what i've heard from about taylor hall um is, is he's all about winning that's that's his sole motivation his sole focus he hasn't won enough in his, in his nhl career uh, he's won everywhere else uh in hockey uh, and, and is always you know produced on the biggest stages he wants to be have an opportunity to, to play on those stages. Uh, like I said, we we think we got a great team coming. Uh, we got a lot of good young players that are going to only continue to get better. We're set up well for the future contractually. Um, you know, we got a new owner in here with great resources. Like I said, we're looking to solve our arena switch situation. Um, I'll put my city up against any other team city in the league. So 
Yeah, like I said, it's a gamble. Um, we certainly understand that. Uh, part of that's baked into the valuation of the deal, but uh, we, we think we'll come out on top of the on the right side of the gamble because uh, you know bet on ourselves and, and we believe in what we're doing here. And and we think you know at the end of the year, uh, hopefully things go well and it's it's uh, you know a later conversation into June and and uh, you know we sit down and uh, you know it's, it's a lot easier and a lot clearer of a conversation to to talk to Darren and, and Taylor and you know try to hammer something out. But but right now I'd say it's premature. Well, as a guy who loves golf against Scottsdale, I can tell you, I would stay. But that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone's different, too. Uh, it's funny. I was just going to say. I bet if you pulled the, uh, the the writers across the NHL that uh, playoff uh, visit to Arizona would be all right. So yeah. there you go. Anyway, Hopefully. anyway, John, thank you for taking the time to to drop in and and hang out with us for a little bit. And and good luck to you. And and we'll we'll see how it all unfolds. Uh, it's uh, it must be nice to be able to talk about this team in terms of playoff positioning and in terms of making an ad like Taylor Hall that's a that must be a uh, a real positive uh, vibe around this team absolutely yeah yeah we're excited here thanks guys appreciate you having me great thanks John all right Pierre now it's so we, I, I put you on the spot I asked you about the Flyers after we chatted with Brian Elliott uh, Arizona is in a, in a you know much more advantageous position as we're chatting about this as, as we mentioned with john uh in our chat first place in the pacific division very tight uh 44 points for the coyotes 43 for vegas 42 for edmonton calgary's at 40 very tight so so basically everyone has has four between 40 and 43 because the whole league is tied yeah <laughs> i know and, and but i wonder what you when you look at this deal what kind of potential impact does it have in the short term for this franchise? Is it? I mean, do you like them as a playoff team? Do you like them as a team? You know, the Pacific's kind of, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, in theory, is a little bit softer than the Central Division. I mean, what what does this do to the Coyotes, a team who hasn't been to the playoffs since 2012? Mm-hmm. I think they're going to get tremendous impact from Taylor Hall, uh, certainly this year and, and probably beyond if they can sign him. However, I, I do want to mention this. It's funny. I was talking to a team executive uh, yesterday that actually thought about getting into it and didn't. There were constraints where he couldn't get into it. But he said he would have just wanted Taylor Hall as a rental because um, he thinks Taylor Hall is about to explode. That, you know, if you look at the low shooting uh, percentage and all the other, you know, he's, he, he, people keep saying he's had a disappointing season and at some level he has in in New Jersey, but it just screams a player that's going to break out here. And I think for a Coyotes team that uh, for whatever reason has actually struggled to score at times this year, uh, he's, he's the perfect tonic. I I really think there's going to be such a domino effect from his presence in the lineup. And I thought he was pretty good in San Jose on opening night. So I, I think certainly for the short term, I think it helps solidify the fact that the Coyotes will make the playoffs. Long term, I, I think that's an interesting discussion because of Taylor Hall's, uh, you know, some of his injury history and about what we know about age regression overall. It's really interesting to me, the, the proposition of an eight-year deal. I'm probably fine with it because he's such a great athlete who takes care of his body. But I'm just telling you that it's as more of more of these eight-year deals age around the National Hockey League, uh, some are fine and others you regret, right? So I, I don't know that I could predict that with Taylor Hall. Is it too much to hope for a 
Coyotes Oilers first round playoff series? Come on. <laughs> oh, come on! I know wow. we talked about we talked about Edmonton Calgary. I, I I think I think there'd be enough juice. Now the question would be, who who among us would get to slide in help Craig Morgan, uh, our our guy in uh, in Arizona, cover that series? I know you would. I, you have. I'm not saying you bigfooted me, but you do like you you have. You know, you're the Western Conference guy. In fact, you covered the last playoff series in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. I covered their uh, part of their 2012 run to the conference final. Yeah, I covered both the Nashville-Arizona series where Alex Radulov was suspended by Barry Trotz yeah, for right. for being out late one night in Scottsdale. And uh, and I covered uh, the LA Kings uh, sweep of the Coyotes in the conference final. Um let me ask you this: If you were uh, if you were the New Jersey Devils right now, and be honest, because of the uh, conditional aspect of, of that trade, are you cheering for Arizona to make the playoffs and win around and sign Taylor Hall, or do you prefer the odds of Arizona missing the playoffs and therefore it becomes potentially a top three pick, and then you get a guaranteed 20, not 2021 first round pick instead? Right. I don't know. Like which which scenario, if you're the Devils, are you hoping for on the Coyotes front? Right. Well, is it it's top three protected, right? For the for, yeah, for the guaranteed yeah. first round pick. But then that right. second conditional pick is either a third, a second, or a first, depending on a number of things. But the most simple way to simplest way to say is that if the Coyotes win a playoff round and sign Taylor Hall, then. Uh, they also got a first round pick in 21. So back to back first round picks. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, yeah, no, I think you were all in on the Coyotes, right? I mean, I, I, and yeah, no, I think you were all in. And even if that, if that pushes your first round pick in the June draft, so, okay, so it's a, call it what, 24th or 25th, wherever they end up. But it's, so it's not a, you know, it's not a top 10 pick, but they're not likely going to fall into that. You know, I mean, you, you, I know the lottery, you know, anything can happen, relatively speaking. But, you know, I think you're all in, aren't you? Aren't you I think, I, I bet they want the, I want the, they want the Coyotes to roll, run the table, right? Doesn't, don't I'm you? What you. do you think? Th- yeah, yeah. Because then, because then, uh, yeah, because then you go back to back first round picks. I mean, that's yeah. the way to go. All right. Well, anyway, it's it's you know what it's it's so important for that franchise. I mean, I still it's still an uphill battle, right? I know ownership is you know they they are well healed and committed to a new building uh, in the area. Um, man, it's still it's still an uphill battle. But this is uh, it, it, it's it's fun to talk about you know, positive news in that marketplace and the team. You know, well, let me ask you before we close then, what do you remember from covering the Coyotes during that playoff run in 2012? Like it, it, I've been there when it's, you know, it, it's, it's not a bad place to watch a hockey game when it's filled and it's rocking. Like, what do you remember covering the, the Coyotes on that um, surprise run to the Western conference final in 2012? Yeah, it yeah. was good. Yeah, it was vibrant. You know, I mean, again, the building's in the wrong spot. No one wants the building out in Glendale. And for those who have never been to a game, it's hard to explain. But I guess for, for you know, people who have been to an Ottawa Senators game over the last 20 years, 
it's very similar. You know, you don't want to go out to Canada. So having the rink downtown really should be true for almost anyone. And certainly for the Coyotes, if you can somehow build it either in Scottsdale or, you know, in, in Phoenix, where, downtown. where yeah, people are actually yeah. live. Yeah, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be a good thing. And so, um, you know, I, I've always said through all the instability and all the different owners and all the people who want to see the team move, that there is a very, very good hockey market in Arizona. But it needs stability and ownership, which perhaps now they finally have in Alex Morello, who's deep-pocketed. Um, and then they got to figure out the rink. Certainly on the hockey side, they've got a competitive team now under under our guest here today, John Chenka and Rick Tockett was a great coaching hire. Um, so the pieces are finally coming into place. It's funny. I was thinking the other day, Dave Tippett's probably thinking, "All right, so all this is happening after a <laughs> leave." You know, Dave, one of the great coaches in our game, Dave Tippett, who had to, you know, brought that team to the conference finals in 2012 on a shoestring budget on, you know, instability, ownership, and everything. But that's um, oh, great to see. I, I really want the Coyotes to work out because I think that's a huge market that loves sports and that can get it right. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. We will talk again after the holiday break. So let me take this opportunity to wish you and your family just the absolute best holiday. I know you've got hockey, you've got kids, you've got travel coming up, but uh, I'll be thinking about you, and uh, I hope it. Uh, I hope Santa brings you everything you want, which of course <laughs> would include a Cowboys win over the Eagles. But I hope you get exactly what you want in your stocking, my friend. You deserve. <laughs> You read my mind. I have been thinking if I could just get the Cowboys to win Sunday, I don't even care how the rest of the season goes. Just, you know, just beat out the Eagles. That's all. That's it's all not much. It's not much. Dance. All right, buddy. Good, good work as as always, and uh, we'll talk in uh, we'll talk in a bit. All right. Merry Christmas, buddy. Love you. Ya.